Well, I hope you have your Bibles with you this morning and will join me as we turn to Psalm 37. There are some pew Bibles in front of you. Some of you like to pull up the Scripture on mobile devices. However you wish to pull your Scripture up, I hope you will. The Psalms, as I have said, as we have looked at them this year, many times you can find the Psalms in the very middle of your Bible. Not all Bibles work that way, but many of them you just open it up to the middle and you're not too far away from the Psalms. The Psalms were meant to be read in worship, but most of them were set to tunes. I would love to know how the ancient Hebrew people sung the Psalms, if we could hear the tune. And many times they were sung uh, by way of a soloist. Sometimes the congregation probably sung them. Sometimes they were sung back and forth between the worship leader and the congregation. This particular Psalm, Psalm 37 is a wisdom psalm. It's called a wisdom psalm. And it's directed towards those persons who get down, who get discouraged about the injustices that they see in the world. Now, if you ever turn on the television or open up your computer or read the paper, you know there is a lot of injustice and evil and wickedness that is happening in our world. And it seems sometimes that those folks are the ones who are prospering and are being successful. And it seems those who are trying to do right, the godly, are being dismissed and unrewarded. So the psalmist is addressing that issue. And the psalmist is basically saying, be patient. Be patient. And wait for God to act. Commit your way to Him, trust Him, and God will take care of things in time. Another interesting thing about this particular psalm that you nor I would, would pick up from, from the English translation, but if we were prolific in Hebrew, the biblical language of the Old Testament, you would understand that this psalm was written in acrostic fashion, meaning that every other line begins with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So the writer was trying to be creative, you know, in taking a, a letter from the Hebrew Bible and beginning every, every other sentence. But sometimes that meant that the psalm was a little unorganized and a little unstructured. But just a little aside about this particular psalm. Well, let's read verses 1 through 11, then verse 34. Follow, follow along with me. And from the get-go, the psalmist begins to address this issue of how the wicked and those who are evil seem to prosper. Do not fret because of evil men or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him. And He will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn. The justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently or wait longingly for Him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their evil schemes. 
Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It only leads to evil. For evil men will be cut off, but those who hope or those who wait in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. And then in verse 34. Wait for the Lord and keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you will see it. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, a pastor surprised his congregation one Sunday morning and announced to them that not only was he resigning his pastorate of that church, but he was retiring and leaving the ministry after only 20 years of service. As you might imagine, his congregation was shocked. Here was a talented, gifted man, and at such an early age, he was leaving his profession, and they were even more shocked when he told them that he was going to work for the local funeral home, become a funeral home director. Well, some months later, one of his members ran into him in his new role as a funeral home director, and they said to him, you know, we're still shocked that you're not our pastor. We're still shocked that you've left the ministry. Why in the world would you leave your profession? You're so gifted and talented in what you do. And the pastor looked at his former parishioner and he said, well, I'm going to tell you like it is. He said, you know, I spent three years trying to straighten out Ed and his alcoholism. And after three years, Ed was still an alcoholic. And then I spent six months trying to straighten out Susie and her marriage. And after six months, she filed for divorce. And you know, I spent two years trying to straighten out Bob and his bitter and unforgiving spirit. And after two years, he was still bitter and unforgiving. But you know, here at the funeral home, when I straighten them out, they stay straight. Maybe you've had some times like that in your life when you couldn't straighten someone out. And something happens. It's some problem. It's some challenge. It's some crisis. And you can't fix it. You can't straighten it out. So what do we typically do when we have those times when we can't straighten things out? We can't fix it. We can't make it work like we want to. Well, most of us, I would dare say, I certainly fall in this category. We try every other available avenue of assistance to straighten something out. And finally, we remember our faith. And when all else fails, as a last resort, maybe God could help. You ever been there with that one? God, I need your help. I've got this problem. We cry out in despair to God. Change the situation, God. Act now. Help us. Deliver us. Not tomorrow, not the next day. Do it today, God. But then we get in touch with the 
reality that maybe the circumstance cannot be fixed. Or it will not be fixed. And so then we often move to plan B. And plan B can, can be a prayer for patience. But sometimes that prayer for patience is actually a modified prayer for patience, like I read about recently that went like this, Lord, give me patience, and I mean right now. <laughs> and so that's our plan B. But you know the fact is, there are those moments in life where things cannot be fixed. Things cannot be straightened out. And God often has a word to us in those moments. It's a word that most of us do not like to hear. I know it's a word I don't like to hear very often. But in those moments when things cannot be fixed, when they can't be straightened out, when they can't be healed, they can't be remedied, they can't be changed, and we're saying, God, give me patience, and I mean right now, often God gives us an answer back. And God's answer that a lot of us don't like goes a little bit like this. I want you to sit back I want you to be still and I want you to wait patiently for me to act and to bring some healing or some fixing to the situation. Now, the reason we don't like that word from God is because life programs most of us to be fixers. Most of us are taught from early on to do it ourselves and to proactively try to fix something or make it work. I mean, look, look at any small preschool child. And from the get-go, he or she wants to do it all by themselves, right? Don't help me. Let me fix it. Let me do it all by myself. But Psalm 37 reminds us that when we get our backs against the wall, and you will get your back against the wall, if it has never happened to you, you will join the human race at some point. And you'll find your back against the wall. And you'll have things that cannot be fixed and straightened out. And no solution will be imminent. But God will be speaking a word to you if you'll listen. If you'll listen to the word. It will be sit back and be still and wait and let me respond. Let me try to teach you something through this experience. Let me try to bring about some healing in your life or somebody else's life through this experience. So for the psalmist here, the lesson that God is trying to teach him is not to fret, not to burn hot with anger over the apparent success of wrongdoers and evildoers and the wicked. Whom, by the way, the psalmist says is going to fade and wither like the grass. And that ought to be a word to us in, in the world in which we live in right now. A lot of us, rightfully so, understandably so, get bent out of shape by all of the evil and the wickedness and the violence and the terrorism that's taking place in our world. But I want to remind you today that if you go to the end of the Bible, you know how the story ends. And the psalmist gives us a foretaste of how the story is going to end. The wicked and those who do evil and who wish to bring about violence and terrorism and other acts of injustice in this world, they are going to wither. They are going to fade. And the great prayer that we pray that Jesus taught us will come into fruition. 
thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's going to happen one day when our Lord returns. So what do we do in the interim? Well, the psalmist invites us to do some simple things. Do good, he says in this text. Trust in the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. And then we get to that great verse in, in verse 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. And then we get to verse 34. Wait for the Lord and keep to His way. It's not an easy thing to do, is it? You know, about 400 years ago, there was a man by the name of John. And during his lifetime, he became known as John of the Cross. And after his death, the Catholic Church made him a saint. So now we know him as Saint John of the Cross. He was called John of the Cross because of his commitment to the way of suffering and because of his commitment to his Lord. John of the Cross, St. John of the Cross, was a Carmelite monk. He founded several monastic orders. He sought to bring about some reform in the Roman Catholic Church 400 years ago. And for that effort, you know, no good deed goes unpunished, he spent some time in prison. And during his time in prison, he, he wrote about what we call the dark night of the soul. The dark night of the soul. St. John of the Cross says that there will come a certain time in your life with God where He will intentionally seek to draw you from a beginner stage of your faith to an advanced stage. And you'll suddenly begin to grow in your faith and you'll find such joy in your faith. You will long to spend time with God. You will long to read His Word. You'll want to be in worship. You'll want to be in fellowship with other Christians. You'll want to serve your Lord in any shape, form, or fashion. But then, there will come some moment, some experience, some happening, some occurrence in which God will seem far away and distant. And you won't understand. You'll say, God, what in the world are you doing to me? I thought I was growing in my faith. I thought I was maturing. I thought I was close to you. And what God is trying to do in that sense of distance is He's trying to take away certain sins out of your life and to grow and enhance certain virtues of your life. And it's in that patient waiting, that patient allowing God to work and to grow you from a beginner stage to an advanced stage that you go through some suffering and pain and heartache. St. John of the Cross calls it the dark night of the soul. I, I wonder this morning if someone here, maybe you, you might be going through a dark night of the soul. Or maybe you can look back and see some moments in your life with God where you've been through that dark night. And one of the invitations in the dark night of the soul is that you be still and you wait. You wait patiently for God to act. You wait patiently for God to birth and to grow something new and fresh within you. Now, you know, in the psalm here, it talks several times about waiting and waiting with patience. The psalmist has two words in, 
that he uses in the Hebrew language for weight. The first word is found in verse 7, and it means to whirl or to twist or to writhe in pain as in the pain and agony of childbirth. Now, obviously, I've never experienced childbirth myself, but I have watched two children born, my own. And I understand a little bit, just a small taste, of what it means to go through the suffering and pain of birthing a child and the waiting that has to accompany it. You, you don't push a child to be born on your timetable, right? That child has his or her timetable and you sit back and you let the program proceed. And part of what the psalmist is talking about is that when we wait for God to act, God often is trying to birth something new and fresh in us in the midst of a situation that cannot be changed or straightened out. It may be a time of suffering and discomfort and pain. You know, one of the um, advantages that I have over some of you in this congregation, not all of you, but many of you, one of the advantages that I have, and I, and I can hardly fathom that this is the case, but it's true, is that this summer, this month, concludes, for me, 40 years of watching this congregation in action. 40 years. Because 40 years ago, I came here as a college student and worked here for two summers as a summer youth minister. And then after finishing up college and going away to seminary, came back 33 years later to be your associate minister for youth and education, and then eventually your pastor. So I've had a front row seat, a bird's eye view of Oakmont Baptist Church in action for 40 years. And one of the things that struck me this week is that there have been times when we as a congregation have sat back and we have waited for God to act. We've not tried to push the program. We've <clears throat> not tried to birth something that wasn't ready to be born. We have sat back and we waited. You know, there was a building team that was in place in the mid to late 1990s that was focused on building this facility that we're in right now. And I remember very clear clearly 1998, 1999, there was talk about, hey, we need to go ahead and break ground. We need to go ahead and build this building. But there were a lot of wise folks in this congregation at that time who were very prayerful and very discerning. And I remember very, very clearly being in our fellowship hall for a, a business meeting, a ministry celebration one night in which we prayed together and out of that moment we decided we were not ready. More importantly, God was not ready for us to build this facility. We still needed to grow spiritually. We still needed to grow in our depth of our stewardship. You know, you don't, I've just discovered you don't build a six million dollar building out of thin air. It takes dollar bills. And we had a lot of maturing to do. But because we were willing to wait and to be still and to let God birth something within us, the right time to break ground became 2001. Not 1998, not 1999. I remember when our deacons were talking about purchasing Oakmont Square Apartments 
in 2005, and everyone was not sure. Most folks were not sure about moving forward with it, and we didn't. And we had a sense that God was not leading us. We, we needed to wait. We needed to be still. We didn't even know if the chance and the opportunity would arise again. And it did in 2007. And it was God's time. It was God's time to act. Because we were willing to patiently wait. So, so this is what I want you to understand. God may be trying to birth something in you individually. He may be trying to birth something in our congregation now or at some point in the future. But if we push it on our time, we have to sit back. And there may be some twisting or writhing in the pain of childbirth for whatever is being birthed and new and fresh to come forth. But if we wait, it's always best in God's time, not ours. The, the, the second word... For to wait in verses 9 and 34 means to twist or to stretch like a cord or a rope or a thread. It, it, it's an eager and, and waiting, enduring as God is twisting and stretching us out of our comfort zones because again, he's trying to birth something new and fresh in us. See, again, I've sat back and I've watched God twist us and stretch us outside of our comfort zones. I've watched some of you who vowed and declared you could never teach a Sunday school class do it. I've watched some of you who vowed and declared that you'd never go on a mission trip do it. Like April Anderson shared with us just a few minutes ago. I've watched some of you Say, oh no, I don't think God could use me in this way or that way. And then you've allowed God to stretch you outside of your comfort zone. And indeed, he's used you. So what I want you to understand is that the psalmist here is talking not about a passive waiting, but about an active waiting. A waiting that is hopeful. It's born out of faith. It's in, in, in anticipation of what God is trying to birth within us. Of how he's trying to stretch us, moving us from baby Christians to mature Christians. Often, when something can't be fixed, we think somebody else has got to be changed. When indeed the waiting is God is trying to change something in us. You know, I like that story of a young believer in Christ who went to an older mature Christian and he said to that older mature Christian, you know, I really struggle with patience. Would you please pray for me that God would give me patience? And the older mature Christian said, absolutely. Why don't we do it right now? So they both got on their knees. And that older mature Christian started praying. And this is how his prayer went. Oh God, I pray that you would bring this young brother in Christ tribulation and suffering in his life. Oh God, I pray you would bring him trouble and suffering and pain in the morning. I pray you'd bring him tribulation and suffering and pain at noonday. God, I pray you would bring that younger brother in Christ tribulation and pain and suffering at the end of the day. Oh God... And I mean, at that point, the younger brother in Christ just stopped it. 
He said, hold on a minute. You, you must have misunderstood what I asked you to pray for. I, I wanted you to pray for me to develop patience. And the older brother in Christ looked at the young man and he smiled and he says, oh, didn't you realize? It's only through tribulation and pain and suffering that we do develop patience. Friends, God is trying to teach us some lessons. Maybe as a church, maybe individually. Some of you may be, or you have been in the past, you've been through that dark night of the soul. And sometimes we try to go at it too quickly. We try to move too fast. And some of the greatest lessons of life and faith are experienced when we sit back when we are willing to be still and to wait for God to birth something in us that's beautiful beyond what we could ever create ourselves. What is it that God is trying to birth in you this morning or in us together? I want you to join me for a moment of prayer. Let's pray together. And as the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now, what, what is that life experience or what is that faith experience? And maybe God has seemed distant to you. What is it that God is trying to stretch you beyond your comfort zone? How is God trying to birth something new and fresh? A willingness to serve Him in ways you've never even be, been willing to entertain. A willingness to go and do. A willingness to share your faith. What is it that God is trying to stretch and to birth in you this morning? Oh God, our Heavenly Father, we come to you this day confessing the sin of our life and acknowledging, God, that sometimes one of our most significant sins is that we want to put our foot on the gas pedal rather than on the brake. An unwillingness, God, to sit back and truly let you speak and be in control and to wait patiently for you to act. We pray, O oh God, for an openness to see you at work in our own individual lives, in our families, in the places where we work, in our communities, certainly in the life of this church. And we pray, God, that as we see you at work, that we would not move too quickly but we would be willing to patiently let you birth whatever you wish to do so that we can better serve you in the days to come. So hear our prayer for ourselves and for each other. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.